Ignition running. Liftoff. We have a liftoff. Line Friday of 2024. Welcome, it's Eric Erickson here across the nation. The phone number 877-973-7425. As always, text Eric E-R-I-C-K to 33777 to get all the links for the stuff, the stack stuff, the daily show notes, all that. Also, if you text Eric to 33777, uh, as soon as I can, I'll send you back uh, the pre-order link for my new book whenever it comes out. Now, I want to begin with the biggest story nobody's talking about. Yesterday, I wanted to start with the national security stories, including our national debt being the biggest national security um, story out there. I, I want to begin with with a, an angle that people are talking about. Let me play you these two audio clips uh, before I get into the meat of it. This is Larry Kudlow from Fox Business this morning. Under the hood, this it's a rather soft number. It's a complicated number, by the way. I'm going to bore you with a lot of statistics. Um, there was a big downward revision. Uh, this is the second of the last three months. Uh, the payroll survey was up 216. You're quite right. But the household survey, which is from what you get the unemployment rate from, that thing was down. Uh, 700,000 or almost uh, 676,000 and the labor force shrunk uh, by an enormous amount so participation rates fell the employment to population rate fell and almost all the jobs after the downward revision uh, which was 71,000 so it's 216 minus 71 called 250 uh, called 170,000 um, again uh, as we've seen in recent months it's all government leisure and health care you don't see anything much in manufacturing in fact manufacturing has been flat for over a year. So it's actually, you'll see the stock market coming back and the bond market coming back. It's not near as strong a number. Uh, and a lot of the analysts are saying it's a rather soft number. Now, that was that you can say, well, that's Fox. That's Fox. Well, here's CNBC. Labor force participation reverses. This isn't a good sign. 62.8 is what we had. That was the best level going all the way back to February of 2020 when it was over 63. Now we back it up to 62.5. That is the lightest going all the way back to January of last year. It's not good. It, it It's better than everywhere else. Tell us midget in the room, I, I guess you could say. Part-time work soared 762,000 to the highest on record. Multiple job holders hit an all-time high. 8.56 million Americans are having to work two jobs. And the number of full-time workers plunged uh, 1.5 million in one month to the lowest since February 2023. Our jobs numbers... The White House is touting them as some sort of good news, but they're actually not in this country. The labor force participation rate, people are falling back out of the labor force, which is a bad sign. Uh, jobs in healthcare going up, jobs in hospitality going up, jobs in government going up, but jobs in manufacturing and, and industry are flat or declining. 
These are troublesome signs. It makes sense that there are increases in healthcare as, as uh, we have fewer younger people, more old people. Jobs in healthcare are going to explode. Jobs in hospitality, restaurants, and, and the like, they're up. But we have economic problems. However, I want to put this in a, a larger context for you. Because I think the story that we should be talking about that no one is talking about is that however weak our economy is, it actually is not only better than every other major economy in the world, but also we're outpacing China. Just a couple of years ago, in fact, a couple of years ago for perspective, it was 2020, so three years ago, the Chinese were 77% of our gross domestic product. There has been this thinking for some time that China was on the rise, we were on the decline, and that they were going to crush us, that, that give it a few more years, and the Chinese would have the biggest economy on the planet. It was already at 77% of ours. Now, for perspective, if you go back to 2015, the Chinese economy was at 60% of ours. Uh, you want to get an idea of the rise? Go back to 2010, it was 40% of ours. Five years later, it was 60% of ours. Three years ago, it was 77% of ours. You know where it is today? 66%. The Chinese economy has collapsed as Xi Jinping, the president of China, has ended the market reforms in China and gone back to pure command and control communist-style um, economics. They're collapsing I have been saying for years on this program that China is actually on the decline, not on the rise. Don't bet against us. Certainly do not bet for the communists. Don't bet on China because so much of China is a veneer. China puts up these great big buildings and they build these high-speed rail lines from Shanghai to Tibet, for example. You know what happens? They collapse. They fall over. There's a lot of economic turmoil. China has what's called shadow banks. Shadow banks are wealth management firms that lend outside of conventional banks. They have proliferated in China. The government has essentially turned a blind eye to lending institutions microfinancing institutions, care guarantee firms, even pawnbrokers are on the, on the business. You don't have to go to a traditional bank in China where it's very complicated to lend money in China through the traditional banking system. Conventional Chinese banks are owned by the state. Lending is heavily regulated. So you go to a third party that has less red tape and you get lending from them. You can't park money with them but you can do loans with them. They're called shadow banks. It's a $3 trillion industry in China. You and I, when we want a loan, we don't go to a pawn shop typically. We go to uh, a building and loan. We go to a credit union. We go to a bank, all of which have government regulation, but they're not owned by the government, so they're not burdensome with regulations. They just have a lot of oversight. they got to make sure they're not given... Um, 
loans to people who shouldn't deserve them. In fact, in the past, we had credit crises in this country like in 2008 because the government was incentivizing these institutions giving loans to people who had bad credit. In China, you go to the, the shadow banking system because there aren't as many red tapes and, and the oversight isn't as good. They don't have the regulatory system and it's just a bunch of billionaires who float money. Well, they've been making bad loans. Shangxi Enterprise Group, one of the largest wealth management firms in China, is now bankrupt. It faces 10 billions in losses for investors. Assets are being sold at a 70% discount. A criminal investigation has begun. This comes after Countrywide collapsed. Countrywide was a massive property developer in China. And starting in 2021, after COVID and lockdowns and everybody was forced in their homes, Country Grand, or Country Garden rather, became uh, economically destabilized. And then there was the other one, Evergrande as well. They became um, massively destabilized. They were apparently on sound economic footing, and then everything collapsed in on them. And a lot of the shadow banks had given them money, but not only them, a lot of local governments in China were giving these companies money. And the reason is simple. China engaged in market reforms in the 80s and 90s and in the early 2000s. But when Xi Jinping took over, he started pulling back on the market reforms. He started regulating more. And so these lenders started going to uh, wealthy Chinese people who were still allowed to have businesses where the government kind of turned a blind eye to them and making loans, and, and it got worse and worse. But the capital started fleeing. The banks in China started fleeing. The markets in China started fleeing to these other uh, businesses. And some of these businesses had to go to local governments and offer them a lot of money in interest. And it's all collapsed. The house of cards has collapsed. China is in decline. They're not on the rise. Their economy has gone from being 77% our size to 66% our size, almost back to where it was in 2015. Why is this relevant to you? Some of you are listening say, why do I care? Here's why you should care. Because the policymakers of the Republican and Democratic Party, the elite in Washington, in the academy and in the newsrooms of America, have presumed that China was on the rise and we were on the decline. So they have aligned public policy contemplating that our days are over and China's days are coming. Many of the wealthy and the elite in this country, bipartisan basis, have decided to cash in and cash out, and they made the same mistake the Democratic Party made, that demography was destiny. You look at China, you look at the intrinsic variables in China, you look at the population of China, you look at the rise of the middle class in China, and oh my gosh, demography is destiny. They're on the, uh, they're on the rise and we're going to be on the decline. Our population is getting old. We're not reproducing as many people. We're a smaller country. They're going to survive and thrive and we're not. We might as well get used to it. The Democrats did this with the Democratic Party, that as the country becomes less white, more black and brown, the Republican Party is going to be on the decline. And look what's happening. The Republican Party coalition is now an ever-increasing number of Hispanic and black voters in the Republican Party coalition. The Democrats are gentrifying white people, upper-income awfuls, affluent white female urban liberals. 
And as the affluent white female urban liberals, formerly the Karens, move into the Democratic Party, uh, a lot of other people, they don't want to put up with these awful white women. They move out of the Democratic Party. The bossy white women of America move in with their bad haircuts and their masks on, demanding everyone else wear the mask and have an abortion on the side, and everybody else gets out of the Democratic Party. Demography was not destiny for the Democratic Party. The same holds true for China, but the same thinking of the elite in this country in both parties that said, well, the days of the Republican Party, they're in decline, and there were a lot of elite Republicans who thought that as well because of demography. They've thought the same thing with China. So many of our public policy bets in this country have been premised on the idea that China's on the rise, we're on the decline, you might as well cash in, cash out, get out, get with the times, and it's not true. Never bet on communists. And the elite in this country always want to bet on communists. They always want to bet on command and control because they're always convinced that market forces are inferior to technocrats making the decisions. Both parties do this. The Democrats, far worse than the Republican Party. Absolutely, at the upper echelons of the Republican Party, there are those who want to side with the technocrats. That's why some of them have been fixated on China. But it is the Democratic Party that is absolutely convinced that in, in Plato's Republic, we got to have all the, the academic technocrats making the decisions because the people aren't smart enough. And people are stupid, yes. But combined into a market force, they tend to make better decisions than the elite. The elite banked our future on being second place, and we're not, except they've been spending and our national debt is as high as it is because they've been presuming our good times were coming to an end, might as well cash out the system as much we can. And yet if we can fix that national debt problem, we don't have to worry about China. The fundamentals of our economy aren't great and they're still better than every other country on the planet, including China. We have time to turn it around. Never bet against the American people and too many people in Washington have a habit of doing so. They bet on the rise of China. China's in decline. It's time to get with the program, bet on America, and get our economy fired on all cylinders and get Washington out of the way. The markets work better than Washington. The markets work. The reason China's in decline is because China stopped allowing market forces to work, which is what too many technocrats in Washington want to do as well. The lessons are there for all of us to see we just got to get Washington to fall in line behind the American people instead of making the American people fall behind Washington, D.C. Want to be on the show? Hello? Hello? I, I love your show. Call Eric now at 3-3-7-7. Now, y'all, I, I got to go back to something yesterday because we got a lot of little blue London phone booths flying around listening to this program. You know, that's a Doctor Who reference. He, he, he flies around in a little blue London phone booth. And if you know the name of the phone booth, you'd understand. Uh, listen to what I said on the radio yesterday. Now you know that the Epstein lists began coming out last night, except uh, the federal servers, well, they 
hanged themselves. They, they, <laughs> they hung up last night. Seriously, the servers, so many people were trying to download the Epstein list that um, the servers, uh, they, they stalled out and crashed. <laughs> or was it Hillary Clinton stopping? I, I don't know. Um, here's the problem. A lot of what we know so far, people are treating this as major revelations, is actually old news. Uh, the the uh, Pritzker, Clinton, Trump, uh, Dershowitz, others that they've all been mentioned before. I can stop there. We have these little blue helicopter, little blue London phone booths who listen to the program. They're not very bright. They're all, in this case, men over 50. And they got very incensed that I mentioned Donald Trump in that monologue. I said in the monologue, I didn't play that far, but in the monologue said, uh, there's no allegation of any wrongdoing of Donald Trump. In fact, it's very clear he did nothing wrong, unlike Bill Clinton. And these little blue London phone booths listening to the program, like, what? You mentioned Donald Trump. He wasn't on the list. He wasn't on the list. As I said yesterday on the program, the servers crashed, and so the media chose to focus on the first list that came out, of which Bill Clinton and Donald Trump and Alan Dershowitz and several others were named, but it's very clear from the documents that came out that unlike Bill Clinton, Donald Trump did nothing wrong. But Trump, but Trump, why are you mentioning Trump? He's not on the list. Because, you idiots, they couldn't talk about the second list because the server crashed. The second list is out. Donald Trump is not on the second list. He was on the first list that came out. My goodness gracious, but... The, these elderly gentlemen wanted to get their panties in a wad that I had mentioned Donald Trump, even when I said he did nothing wrong. Um, little blue London phone booths filled with Doctor Who's who just can't help themselves but whine and complain. Now, I need to move on and tell you about Vision Computer because they want a relationship with you. They don't want just a relationship with you, but with your business as well if you've got one. Uh, and it's worth having a relationship with them because with Vision Computers, your technology can be taken care of. They can build you a PC, a laptop, or a desktop, and then they can service it. So by servicing it, they're actually serving you. You can call them if you have any question about using your computer, what key combination copies and pastes. If you're Claudine Gay, you could call and ask them. And learn control C and control V. They'll tell you that less than quicker than a Google search. All you have to do to build a relationship with Vision Computers is go to visioncomputers.com or call them at 404 Compute. 404 Compute. You call Vision Computers, you tell them I said you get a better deal. They can not only build your computer, they can be your IT support solution. Visioncomputers.com or 404 Compute. He's got the courage to tell you the truth, even when it isn't popular. You're listening to The Eric Erickson Show. Greetings, conversationalists. It's an open line Friday across America. The phone number is 877-973-7425. I do have to laugh, though. The amount of people who are still not at work this week. UPS, by the way, uh, has said it wants people back in the office five days a week. So they're going to be, y'all, can I just, a word, if you will, please, for a moment. Um, our UPS worker, 
the driver. That woman is one of the hardest working people I have met in my life. She showed up at our house last night by herself. They were talking an older lady, tiny older lady, just carrying these heavy packages all by herself. Nine o'clock at night. And I, I said I was um, uh, I, I was flabbergasted if uh, that that she was out that late. And she said the night before she was out until 11.30 p.m. working, delivering packages. They were backlogged over, over Christmas with so much stuff coming in over time. Um, my goodness gracious, y'all. I just, I, I know, for example, so I'm, I'm broadcasting my flagship stations out of Atlanta, UPS headquarters in Atlanta. I got to tell you people, y'all got some of the hardest working people in America working for you. Uh, and and our, our FedEx guy, same way. The delivery drivers we have, just they are wonderful, wonderful people. Now, we used to have a guy who, I mean, gave like every package delivery person a bad name. He would just like stand in the yard and throw the package at the porch. Sometimes get it, sometimes not. He'd just stand in the yard and throw. But my goodness gracious, uh, this this lady, I feel bad for her, um, but I'm also deeply impressed with her work ethic. Um, It is just, it's incredible, though, that she's out that late delivering packages and you know it used to frustrate me that they would the the post office would deliver amazon packages on sunday and then the the lady who was delivering one day says she didn't mind at all she got paid so much money to deliver packages on sunday it was a good thing it's like all right i, I cease my objection other than than the whole working on the sabbath thing but still amazing amazing work ethic now i gotta move on i gotta give you some data The markets have declined since the month rolled around and the markets opened. We had at the end of last year a pretty big boom in the stock market. Uh, People were stunned that the markets did as well as they did at the end of last year. And now suddenly they're they're slowly in decline. Now, I, I will just look for right now. Uh, As I'm talking, the NASDAQ's up 8, Dow is down 97.9, the S&P is up 0.71, not a super strong day after the the labor numbers, not good. But one of the reasons the markets did not keep going up at the rollover into the new year is there's a growing awareness that the Federal Reserve is not going to cut rates quickly. There had been optimism at the end of last year that they were. There's a problem. Inflation still, it's going down. The Fed is very happy with where inflation is. They, they expect it to be about 2%, which is their goal. But there's a problem caused by none other than Joseph Robinette Biden. Joe Biden is refusing to act strongly, decisively, and thoroughly in the Red Sea. What does that have to do with inflation? Well, most shipping that comes from Asia to Europe, almost all of it, in fact, traverses the Suez Canal in the Red Sea. And it can't right now because the Houthi rebels are targeting ships in the shipping lanes. The Houthi rebels are funded by the Iranians. 
The Houthi are targeting the ships. So most major shipping companies, Maersk being one of the biggest, they're bypassing it. Well, to bypass the Red Sea, you have to go down to the Indian Ocean and around Cape Horn into the Atlantic Ocean. The seas tend to be rougher. It takes at least 15 more days to do that. You want to know that what that's done in the last month? In the last month, the cost to ship goods from Asia to Europe by ship has gone up 173% in a month. 173% in one month. The cost to ship goods to the United States East Coast has gone up 52% and is going up still. There's another problem. So it's not just the Suez Canal. So to get around and through the Suez Canal, you got to avoid the pirates. So now you're going around the Cape Horn. You're sailing around South Africa up along the, the west coast of Africa and around. Well, the Panama Canal, there's a drought. So the Panama Canal has had to reduce shipping. The rate of transport through the Red Sea is down 30%. The rate of transport through the Panama Canal is down 8%. To get from Asia to the east coast of the United States, typically what you do is you go across the Pacific, through the Panama Canal, into the Caribbean, and up. Some are routing now through the um, Cape Horn and around Africa. That takes it a lot longer. They had been routing through the Red Sea to get to the east coast. It's a longer trip. But when you're limiting the traffic through the Red Sea, through the Panama Canal due to drought, it can actually be quicker because there are only so many spots per day allowed to go through the Panama Canal. The Panama Canal uh, is a narrow shipping lane that goes into several lakes in Panama, goes through a lock system. The water is down so low they've had to limit the shipping. So for some ships, it's actually easier, get this, to sail from, say, Hong Kong to go around India, around Africa, up and across the Atlantic because they don't have to wait for traffic permissions through the Panama Canal. The result of all of this is that shipping costs have skyrocketed, 173% increase for rates from Asia to Europe, a 52% rate increase from Asia to North America and Eastern Seaboard, and all the summer inventories are being delayed now. So typically right now, Major companies, the retailers, you name it, targets the Walmarts of the world, they're in they're acquiring their summer inventory now. And their summer inventory, it's put on ships, it's sailed to the West Coast and the East Coast via the Panama Canal. And because of the delays of the Panama Canal and because of the Red Sea turmoil, everything's gonna be delayed by three weeks to a month. So you're gonna have a delay in the summer season. That's going to cause retailers problems. Now, all of this is directly related to what Joe Biden is doing in the Red Sea. What Joe Biden is doing is absolutely nothing. That's the problem. They're, they're doing wrist slaps at the Houthi rebels. Don't you do that, you bad boys. You stop. I mean, they're baby-talking the Houthi. Bad boy, bad boy. Don't you launch that drone. You blow them up. Kenneth McKenzie is a retired U.S. Marine general. He served as the commander of the U.S. Central Command from 2019 to 2022. He has a piece in the Wall Street Journal today. Iranian leaders work with Lenin's dictum that you probe with bayonets. 
If you find mush, you push. If you find steel, you withdraw. Tehran and its proxies are pressing their attack because they haven't confronted steel. The ability to stop such probing generally depends on a swift and violent counterattack. Delaying and equivocating usually means the response needed to reestablish deterrence has to be much larger than it would have been if it had been applied in a timely manner. As a military officer, I have observed such hesitancy and lack of strategic clarity across several presidential administrations. In 2019, an early and sharp response to Iranian provocation might have ended the escalatory spiral well before the U.S. had to strike Soleimani and accept the possibility of theater war. A case in point is Houthi activity in and around Bab al-Mandeb Strait. In the national security strategy and national defense strategy of the United States, we emphasize the importance of free passage through such global choke points. Protecting this principle and our strategic priority is more important than avoiding escalation. Taking strong action against the Houthi isn't likely to lead to theater-wide escalation. Iran is waging a hidden hand war from Yemen because it is cheap and because there are few consequences for Tehran. A forceful response against the Houthis designed to make them feel the pain of continuing their irresponsible behavior wouldn't ineluctably lead to a large-scale Iranian response. Pursuing the strategy is especially consequential. The Chinese are watching to see how we respond to a threat involving a narrow strait. Unfortunately, it is the United States that is being deterred, not Iran and its proxies. To resist reset deterrence, we must apply violence that Tehran understands. Paradoxically, if done early, this violence could have been a far smaller and more measured scale. Indecision has placed us in this position. There's a way forward, but it requires the United States to set aside the fear of escalation and act according to priorities of our strategic documents and concepts. Iranians understand steel. They also understand mush. It's time to choose. He's absolutely right. The reality of the situation is this. It is of our geostrategic and economic importance in this country and our global strategies to ensure the free, fair shipping lanes of traffic and that they remain open and unaffected by piracy. The Houthi have decided to engage not just in piracy but terrorism against shipping lanes. It is in the United States national interest. It is in the documents that outline the goals of our national interest. And it is in the documents that outline the strategic operations of the United States that when this happens in any major shipping lane, the United States military takes action. And Joe Biden has decided to ignore every one of those documents. Joe Biden has decided to ignore every one of those policies. And the result is that the Houthis and the Iranians are more and more emboldened than the Chinese are watching all of this dithering by Joe Biden. Blow them up. Blow up the Houthi. End this and reopen the Suez Canal. The fact that the Biden administration is dithering and twiddling its hands is going to have economic consequence and national security consequence combined. Shipping costs have dramatically increased in the last month. The Federal Reserve can't reduce interest rates because inflation is going to come just from the higher cost through shipping. It's going to affect the rest of the economy. Ironically, it's in Joe Biden's best interests to respond forcibly and aggressively against the Houthi, but he can't bring himself to do it because Joe Biden doesn't like to be decisive. 
He's a dithering old fool in the presidency, and it's going to cost us money and probably lives as well because he refuses to be decisive against the Iranians because he's convinced that, like Barack Obama, he can rethink our strategy in the Middle East, and to this date, the only people who have rethunk it successfully are the Iranians, and they did so by co-opting both administrations, which is probably why he's not willing to do anything. He's got a bunch of Iranian sympathizers within his administration who are advising him not to. Absolutely infuriating. Now, I got to move on. Before I do, let me tell you about Americans for Prosperity. Uh, they want you on their side, americansforprosperity.org slash Eric. They're fighting in this country for free markets, free people. More than that, though, there are major legislative fights coming up this year. School choice is going to be a big one, particularly in places like Georgia. Uh, Texas is going to have another school choice fight as well. Uh, they've been making advances in Oklahoma in school choice. Tax reform is going to be a big one. Certificate of needs that drive up health care costs in states are going to be huge for Americans for Prosperity. Getting rid of those certificates to incorporate free market health care reforms and lower health care costs and provide greater accessibility to health care in states. All these are things Americans for Prosperity fights for on the ground. They don't just send out white papers. They actually get into the states and they mobilize conservatives to fight for common sense conservative ideas. You should be on their team. They've got over 4 million people they've trained to be effective activists on these issues. They put points on the board. Americansforprosperity.org slash Eric. Americansforprosperity.org slash E-R-I-C-K. They've got 36 states completely organized. They're organizing in the other states. they got 4 million activists. They want you. They'll teach you how to be an effective activist to go to your state legislature, your local city council or school board, and fight for common-sense conservative solutions that support free markets and free people. AmericansforProsperity.org slash E-R-I-C-K. He'll do the research and give it to you straight. Eric Erickson is live every weekday. Join Eric's Army of Activists. Text ARMY to 33777 now. This hour of the program brought to you by First Liberty Building and Loan. My friends, the Frost family, can help your business grow. If you're buying a building, building a building, buying a franchise, things like that, you need $250,000 or more, reach out to them. FirstLibertyGA.com. FirstLibertyGA.com. Tell them I sent you. Now, let me go here to Jim. Jim, you're going to be the first caller today. Welcome. Well, thank you. You know, when you were talking about how everybody was throwing in with the, oh, China's the way to go now, they're going to be in control. Uh, even the Wall Street Journal a few years back, when I think when maybe when Xi Jinping was starting to look like he was really digging in hard and getting somewhere, even they said, this is the wave of the future. Authoritarian with a little bit of free marketry. We went through this back in when I was a young man. I'm 69. When I was a young guy, 80s and 90s, we all thought, oh, my goodness, the Soviet Union's forever. Will I ever see the end of it? Will Republicans take, or take the House again? And even in the early 80s, I remember Democrat friends of mine around the Emory University area saying, can you believe it? There's this guy running for governor who wants to cut taxes? That was hilarious to them. Well, yeah, yeah. You know, here we go again. China does not know how to run an economy. And what what gave these smart people the idea that they did? That's just it. 
smart people think smart people can make the best decisions. And right. actually, market forces are way better than so. Essentially, every single person in an arm's length transaction trying to do the best thing for their family combined is the market. So you trying to do the best thing for you and me trying to do the best thing for me are opposed to each other in a deal, and but we want the deal to happen because we can both get benefit from it. We negotiate ourselves. And you add in a million, two million, ten million, a hundred million, three hundred million other people. Suddenly, that's a market, and together, combined into one entity at a macroeconomic level, all of us have worked for our own betterment in our own self-interests, and we have combined guided the market. But what communists want, what socialists want, what the technocrats in Washington want, is for. 15 poindexters in a room in Washington with a calculator to make those decisions for all of us. It never works as well because people are stupid. And you, when you combine the amplifying effects of 100 million stupid people making decisions in their own best interest, you actually wind up making a better decision because the stupidity of one negates the stupidity of the other than when you just have 15 stupid bureaucrats in a room making the decision because then you don't have enough people in there to negate the stupid decisions. The masses of stupidity cancel each other out. But when they're all in one room in Washington, D.C. together, they don't. Market forces are a good thing. That's why when I say people are stupid, I also say don't bet against the American people. Because combined collectively, the stupidity cancels itself out. And the American people tend to come up with the right decision. You and I may not always like it. And sometimes they do get it wrong. But more often than not, they're on the money, even if we disagree with them. We can at least understand their logic, as opposed to the unaccountable bureaucrats in Washington, D.C., who will never be held accountable and do not have to live with the consequences of their decisions. When you and I go vote collectively, we have to live with the consequences of our decision. And we get the government we deserve. It's the one we voted for, like it or not. In China, that's not the way it is. The Communist Party imposes its will on everyone. And in Washington, they don't want to call it communism, but they want bureaucrats and technocrats to impose their decisions on the rest of us. What the energy department is doing with regulation of appliances. They're coming after fridges, by the way, refrigerators and freezers. When we come back, uh, I need to describe an insurrection for you. You're not hearing about it in the media today, but it has all the hallmarks of an insurrection. And we need to ask ourselves why you're not hearing about this particular insurrection. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, click Grainger.com, or just stop by. Granger, For the ones who get it done.